This is the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom. In this week's podcast, greatest sign that you are going through the motion spiritually, the greatest sign that you are good at church but bad at Christianity is that you get spiritually burned out. Thanks for listening to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom of Ministry of Journey Church International. My name is Brandon, and today I'm looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Christian concerning his recent message in a series that we are teaching called The Letters from Jesus. Um, This week, we're going to take a closer look at the letter to the church at Ephesus found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Pastor Christian, I've heard several comments from people who have really appreciated how you set up our study in the book of Revelation. In fact, one person wrote and said, it has been a while since I have been through Revelation, and you are the first to make the connection of where it is today and when when it was written. Tell us why the history and geography of, a, of, of Scripture is so important to you as you, you study the Bible. Well, Scripture is a, is a book that in parts is 2,000 years old, you know, the New Testament documents, uh, and in parts is, is 4,000 years old if we go all the way back to uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books uh, of the Old Testament. So the world has changed. That doesn't mean Scripture has changed. That doesn't mean that God has changed his mind. As a matter of fact, Jesus said you can't remove uh, even the smallest dot from Old Testament Scripture uh, unless he gives us very specific permission like he did with the Apostle Peter when he said, hey, uh, you know, the the diet, the unclean and clean diet, uh, I'm going to pull away for the sake of, of reaching the Gentiles. Um, so you got you have to bring those things into context. We don't have to bring them into our culture uh, but we do have to bring them into context. What did it mean when the author wrote it? We always want to ask when we're reading the Bible. If you're just doing your regular Bible study, you always want to know who is writing, who are they writing to, uh, what are they addressing, where are these people at in their, you know, their in their geography, so you can see it in your head. Where are they at in their spiritual life? Because that's the only way you can figure out. Uh, if any of those things in their life match your life, so you can know how exactly to apply that truth to what's going on today. The geography part of it probably for me is just that it's the nerd in me. It's the way that I'm shaped. Um, if if I hear uh, that David went from Bethlehem, where he lived, to the Valley of Elah uh, to see his brothers fighting against the Philistines, I want that sentence to mean as much to me in the picture of my mind, as if I said I was driving from Kansas City to St. Louis. When you see that in your head, you see not just Missouri, but the map of America. If you've taken the drive, you see I-70, you see Boonville, you see Columbia, uh, you see Kingdom City. You can see it in your head. So for me, understanding the geography allows the picture to become sharper, but it's not because I want to see the Bible in pictures. I just want to understand the picture so well that I can understand the lesson for my life. And the real value of the maps that we looked at last week in the book of Revelation was the reality of saying, okay, you know what the Mediterranean basin looks like, and if, if, you, if you follow the, the news at all, you know what's going on there. Now let's look at it in the New Testament, and let's see how alive it was spiritually. And let's look at how these letters tell them if they don't stay alive spiritually— they're going, they're going to be gone, and now let's look at the reality that they are gone. Now let's move the maps and show your heart. 
Because at one point in your heart, uh, perhaps you've had a spiritual journey that God has taken or allowed to be taken through some experience in your life where Jesus ran right across the center of your life and you had an encounter with him. Uh, That's what it was. What is it now? And what can it end up being if you keep drifting or if you stay dry and if you don't open up your heart to receive and allow him to make some new inroads in your life. So all of that comes together to just present a picture for me. I feel like the Bible was written to me, God's revelation, God's message to me about who he is and what he wants to be in my life. And context, history, geography helps me put all those pieces together so it becomes very, very real to me. It's not a book about them. It's a book about me. Yeah. And when I was a kid, um, when I would sit in a very boring message, I was the kid that in my Bible, I was turning to the maps in Always. the back. I never knew why they were there. Exactly. And then to take it up a notch, and then you go visit Israel. Right. And it's no longer flat. You can actually see these places. They're no longer just on a page. No doubt. It really makes everything come to life. So, right. Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, each letter to the churches in Revelation reveals something about Jesus. Uh, um, this letter revealed that Jesus evaluates our heart. He's looking at our heart. In fact, he says in Matthew 7, verses 19 through 20, he states, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Um, would you share just a moment, what specific fruit is Jesus looking for in our lives? So Jesus is in the midst of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he began really this, this portion of that message with Matthew 7, 13, and 14, enter by the narrow gate for, uh, you know, wide is the road that leads to destruction. Uh, many are going to find that, but narrow is the road that leads to life, and very few are going to find that. So, so we're told there's two types of lives to live. There's two types of lives to pursue. Uh, there's two types of, of lives um, to lead. Then we're told specifically here that spiritual leaders um, can lead us to the right kind of life or the wrong kind of life. This specific verse, trees that don't bear good fruit are cut down and thrown into the fire, is speaking of spiritual leaders who are leading people down the broad path that doesn't lead to life. They're just trying to get people to follow after the crowd. Very specifically, he's speaking to those spiritual leaders through the lens of the prophecy of Isaiah. He will say to them later, uh, you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He literally is saying, by the reaction of your heart to me, I will know what's inside of you. Uh, If I walk up to a tree, you and I could walk up to a tree blindfolded and tell what kind of tree it is if we are allowed to touch and taste its fruit. Jesus says, if I can just see what's coming out of your heart in relationship to me, I can tell you what's in your heart. Um, and, and if you recognize me as God's Messiah, I will understand that your heart is following God and his scriptures that talk about me. And if not, I can tell as a spiritual leader, if you don't recognize me, you're not going to lead anyone to recognize me. I can't use you in spiritual leadership. Uh, But then he will come back and say, I can also tell who you are by your followers because he transitions from speaking to the leaders to transitioning 
to speaking to the people. And he says, now let me talk to you people, just in case you think I'm just judging the spiritual leaders. A lot of you are going to say to me on that last day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we drive out demons? And didn't we do a lot of work? Didn't didn't we do a lot of spiritual religious stuff? And Jesus says, I'm going to say, I never knew you. You're, You're workers of iniquity. You never chose to put aside your sin to follow me. So when Jesus says, I'm, I'm judging you by your fruit, he says, your outward actions, tell me where your heart is in relationship to how you love me, in relationship to how you see my authority. Uh, I don't even need to see you with my eyes. I could blindfolded touch the fruit of your life uh, and see what it looks like spiritually, and I can tell you what's inside your heart. So you stated, let's continue on with the same thought. You you, you stated that Jesus has the ultimate spiritual authority and control in our lives, and uh, we are ultimately accountable to him. Uh, let me ask you, do, does one of those statements, like you asked us in the message, right. does one of those statements give you hope and comfort while the other gives you fear and discomfort? Uh, used to. Uh, I mean, the first one used to give me a lot of comfort, that um, that Jesus has ultimate control um, and authority. That used to be very comforting to me because there's a lot of things in life that feel out of control. There's a lot of areas of life that are out of control. And to know that Jesus is in control and has authority over even the wind and the waves uh, and nature is is comforting to me because I, I trust his heart. Even when I can't understand other things, I just I trust his heart. Uh, the statement that I'm ultimately accountable to Jesus uh, used to scare me because I didn't live for Jesus. Um, I lived for myself. I lived for others. I lived for pleasure I knew there were a lot of things Jesus didn't want me to do that I did, and it would have bothered me to think that I would be held accountable for those. In just the last several years now that I'm pastoring a church, I've had to transition in my life from uh, being bothered about being accountable to Jesus uh, to being bothered about being accountable to or liked by the people in our church. And it gives me great comfort now to know if I follow Jesus that men and women and church members and community members may not always like me, but ultimately I'm accountable to Jesus. And if Jesus likes me and if Jesus will accept me, uh, I'm okay with that. So at this stage in my life, it actually brings me comfort because I've learned to trust who he fully is. I've learned to set aside the natural instincts that I was born with in my DNA to follow the ones he would prefer that I would follow. I've learned that all of those lead to a more fulfilling life. And even when people might reject me or ridicule me or not uh, treat me as part of their crowd because I'm following Jesus. Ultimately, I'm only accountable to him. So it gives me comfort to know, um, hey, when it all comes right down to it, I'm living for the one who I'm ultimately accountable uh, to. Uh, and he's if, if, I, if it's between pleasing him and somebody else, I'm going to choose him and I'm going to be okay with that. You know, as I look at that statement, I think in my own life I've gotten it wrong spiritually when I when I shift around those ideas. Let, let me just throw it at you like this. I get it wrong when I say I have the ultimate control in my life and Jesus is accountable to me. And it messes messes everything up, doesn't it? Yeah, because we see a lot of people walk away from Jesus because he hasn't followed their lead. I, I said last week in my message, for many people in the church today, they are not followers of Jesus. They want Jesus to be a follower of them. Follow me around. I'll let you know when I when I need you. Um, and yeah, we, we do that because we think we have control. And we command, you know, Jesus, who really in our minds is more a genie in a bottle than a savior in heaven. 
we command him to do what we would like to do in our control and he doesn't, then we get mad at him, we question him, uh, we walk away from him, uh, we curse him. I know more people who would consider themselves agnostics and atheists who used to believe in Jesus than who never believed in Jesus. At some point they had a they had a bad experience with a church or a pastor uh, who in their mind represented Jesus or um, they wanted control of something and wanted Jesus to do something their way. He had a, he had a different path for them. Uh, and they, they rejected him because they rejected his path. Pastor Christian, the title of this message this week was Going Through the Motions. Um, looking at the church at Ephesus from the outside, you would say that they were really good at church, but behind the scenes they were really bad at Christianity. H- have you ever discovered that you were going through the motions in your relationship with Jesus? And, and what were the signs um, that you were just simply going through the motions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over and over and over again. It, it happens seasonally um, with me. And I'll, I'll tell you what, the greatest sign that you are going through the motion spiritually, the greatest sign that you are good at church but bad at Christianity is that you get spiritually burned out. The greatest sign. And you say, well, why is that? Because it's at some point you have made what you do more important than who you love. At some point you have made what you're doing uh, more fulfilling than who you are doing it for uh, because nobody ever really burns out spiritually just doing what Jesus asked them to do if they do it in the manner that he asked them to do it in. It's always when we get our motives flipped around that we begin to do church rather than follow Jesus. Uh, And man, doing church is exhausting. Serving in church is exhausting. Sometimes giving feels crippling. Unless you do it in 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 reference to Jesus, uh, that's why the author of Hebrews tells us: consider him, cons- like consider him who gave his life for you. As you run your race, consider him, because if you consider anything else, you're going to get worn out. But when you consider Jesus, you can always keep running. So for me, one of the greatest signs that you might be going through the motions rather than following Jesus well is just that you you just are always finding yourself spiritually burned out and somehow let down by the church you're serving because somehow in your mind you've started serving the church instead of serving the Savior. Um, I've never heard anyone who said, I've served and, you know, just, uh, you know, I just don't feel like Jesus gave me what I was giving him, so I'm out. Actually, I've never met a Christian who has said that. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've discovered uh, in time... Um, that in in my relationship with Jesus, I'm I'm really good at ministry, but I'm really uh, bad at, uh, at at having a personal relationship with Him. So let me ask you this then: What ultimately turned that around for you? Yeah. So several years ago, I found myself in this position uh, where I realized that you know a popular pastor, um, you know, once I heard him say at a conference that I was a uh, I was a professional, um, I was a professional pastor, but I was a horrible Christian. Because he, you know, he was just he was just doing doing ministry, but he wasn't a good husband, he wasn't a good father, he wasn't a good friend, he wasn't a good neighbor, he wasn't a good follower of Jesus. I found myself in this position where I just I wanted to do anything but be in ministry. It actually led, it was the genesis to, you know, getting my heart prepared to start Journey Church International. I decided that I was going to quit ministry uh, and go coach football because ministry had become a job that had very little spiritual fulfillment in it. And as I really began to kind of dig into what I was missing. What I was missing was Christianity. I had church, but I was missing Christianity. You say, what, what do you mean by that? I was not in the Word daily with God. I was not in prayer daily. 
Um, I was I was not memorizing verses. I was not meditating on Jesus. I wasn't per- pursuing Jesus, and I re- and I really had no Christian community, right? I mean, we look at today, you know, how how do you know what the heart of Christianity is? Well, you ask Jesus, and Jesus said the heart of Christianity is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, I was deficient in my love of God and my love for my neighbor. So I thought, you know what? I don't care if I'm a good pastor. I've got to learn to be a good Christian. So I made a commitment that I was going to get in the word. I I made a commitment that I was going to love God deeply. And then I found five or six friends and said, my understanding is I can't be a good Christian unless I'm a great friend. I've not been a great friend. Um, Would you all begin meeting with me every Wednesday night? And let's just talk about what's happening in our faith and grow. Uh, Because my Christianity has been more about what I'm doing than who I'm doing it with. So could we just start, could we just start hanging out? And we did that every Wednesday night over the course of probably 15 or 16 months, and that became the core launch team that helped us start our church because we all thought, this is this is a type of Christianity that's fulfilling. This is a type of Christianity that's that's fun. This is a type of Christianity that uh, that that doesn't make you feel burned out. Like, this is life, loving Jesus and loving each other. Like, this is really, really life. Let's... Um, Let's keep doing this. Let's help everyone else try to do it. And, and we tried to start a church based on that. What's funny is that was about eight years ago that that happened. Tonight, I will meet that same group of people at Buffalo Wild Wings because I just came off my sabbatical. And one of the things God showed showed me is I've gotten too busy in ministry again. Um, I've got too little Christian community in my life. And I just reached out to those guys and said, man, would you like, would you guys like to get together for a reunion? Um, because I want to share with them what God's doing in my life because sharing my spiritual journey with others, not only is it more fun and more fulfilling, but it's commanded it like it is a part of Christianity. Uh, when I got ready to start our church, I was meeting with a group of pastors in the city, group of older pastors who were really mentoring me. I started our church with a series in the book of James that I wanted to call less church, less church, uh, you know, because I was railing against my bad church experience. And when I told these pastors that they said, you know, I like, cause we were going to do a, a mailer with like 40,000 pieces. And they, they begged me, they said, please don't send out a mailer that says less church. People don't need less church. And I said, well, you know, I, I feel like it's about Jesus, not about church. And they looked at me and they said, just because you weren't mature enough to pursue Jesus and church at the same time, doesn't mean everyone else is. And they said, your problem is that you did Christianity wrong, not church wrong. Man, they got up in my grill. That was one of my first lessons that spiritual maturity is not emotional sensitivity. Um, it is gentleness in relationships. But if you if you want to be led by strong people, like, you you, you know, you, you got to let people sometimes get up in your face and say, you're wrong. And they were right. My bad experiences to do with church started with my pursuit of serving the church worshiping the church, relying on the church and not Jesus. And when I flipped it around and started following Jesus and loving Jesus' people, uh, man, the church became alive to me. And it was just something that I got to serve and participate in. I I absolutely love the church. I would say for a healthy church, more church now, um, not less church. We ended up changing the title of the series, by the way, to Rethink Church. Instead of less church, Rethink Church. And the thought of the series was, Hey, let's not rely on the church to keep us close to God. Let's rely on Jesus, uh, and we're going to pursue Jesus personally and in community together. And seven years later, God's allowed uh, a lot of us to do that together. Well, that last thought you just mentioned um, transitions well to this next question. Um, Again, the defining characteristic of the church at Ephesus was was that they had lost their first love. I love it that you're going to get back together with this group of guys tonight. 
Um, Jesus told the church that at Ephesus they could get back on the right course by remembering and repenting. He said, go back to the things you did at first. What were those things that Jesus is referring to at the church of Ephesus? It was actually three things. Remember, repent, and do. Remember, repent, and do. Consider how far you've fallen. Remember where you used to be. Uh, Repent, which means change. Change back to how you used to be and do what you used to do. What do you do when you first enter a relationship with Jesus? You throw your whole soul, your whole life, your whole past, your whole future, your whole eternity on Jesus. You place all your faith in Jesus. And then, then you begin with a Christian community uh, to, try to, to try to learn who Jesus is, to try to follow Jesus. Uh, so we would say the things you did at first, those things that draw you to Jesus, uh, are that great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Get in the Word. Pray. Memorize Scripture. Begin to see where that tells your life you need to make adjustments. Um, and then live in community. Just make make time for people. Take time for people. Love your neighbor the way you would want to be loved. Love your neighbor like Jesus loved his disciples. Provide some margin and room in your life for others spiritually. You know what I've found when I've been going through the motions in my faith and in my relationship with Jesus is simply this. I don't have joy. There's no joy in my life. I think that's why David probably mentioned um, when he was uh, repented from the sin, he said, God, please restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's going back to the things I should have done from the beginning. And and that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. You, I mean, we started off this podcast by saying, what fruit should you have? Love, joy. Joy's one of them, right? If you have no joy, you get a spirit deficiency. If you have no love, a spirit deficiency. If you have no peace, you have a spirit deficiency. If you have no gentleness, you have a spirit deficiency. Those are all spiritual problems. Well, last question today. Um, in our small groups at JCI, we will be asking a few accountability questions each week to help each other stay close to Jesus for the next seven weeks. Uh, Pastor Christian, if you don't mind me asking, are you doing anything different in your relationship with Jesus that is helping you draw closer to Him right now that you would that we could learn from? Yeah, I actually am. So I'm doing something this year I've I've actually never done before. I got a devotional book. I'm reading through the Proverbs um, devotional book that Tim Keller's written, kind of one proverb a day. It's a really really small book, uh, but he challenges it, the, it challenges you at the beginning to go through it with two or three people so that every day you can read it and discuss it. I've never done that before. Uh, And doing that, not only am I learning, but being able to learn and interact and text my friends and say, did you read that? Man, this was good, and I've got to share that. Uh, Again, it, it is the great commandment. It's loving Jesus and living with others at the exact same time. I've never done that before. I don't know that I'll ever not do it again, Um, have some element of shared devotional quiet time it's great accountability and then it's it's just great conversation to say man did you did this proverb smack you the way that it smacked me yes did this proverb remind you of our you know our third friend x um that maybe we need to go talk to yes hey did that proverb remind you of that thing that happened that hey maybe we should talk about yes um so it's it's been a uh, it's been something that's raised the level of my christianity my accountability Um, and just my spiritual community this year. So I've loved that. I would encourage people as we make plans together as a group, how do we stay close to Jesus? Live in these, what we call triads, at least a group of three. Live in this daily spiritual community and accountability. Uh, I think you'll find yourself thriving spiritually if you'll do that. Well, Pastor Christian, that's a great challenge to end today. And thanks again for your time. And for those of you that are listening right now, we are so glad you took the time to listen to the podcast today. 
If you ever have any questions, you can email us at activate at takethejourney.cc. We love hearing from you, and we would love to answer any of your questions in an upcoming podcast. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. We would love for you to help us get the word out about this resource. Don't forget to share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.